You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to episode number 72 of Living the Dream with Rory O'Malley. Audition, side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hello, dreamers. Rory O'Malley here. Thank you so much for listening to Living the Dream. Thank you for downloading. Thank you, my friends. So, belt the vote. We're still belting that vote, folks. It is still possible for many of you to register before the November 6th election. Some of the voter registration deadlines are passed in states, but um, like in California, it's October 22nd. So go to beltthevote.org and register to vote in the election November 6th. So important that the entire theater community and all of us make our voice heard. Um, so please do that. Thank you so much. And just a reminder, we still have a very exciting giveaway happening right now. It's the $100 question. You can win the chance to ask Leslie Margarita, my upcoming guest, a question over the phone. We'll have you call into the show when she's on. And you'll also get $100 towards Gold Star to make a purchase of tickets on our sponsor's website. All you have to do is go to goldstar.com's Facebook page and make a comment of what question you will ask Leslie in the post about our giveaway. So go ahead and do that and we'll pick a winner and you'll get to ask Leslie a question. Won't that be fun? We're getting interactive here at Living the Dream. Um, so my guest today is Jason Michael Snow, a good buddy of mine. We were in the Book of Mormon together and uh, we were both a part of the beginning of that show. And I love getting to reminisce with people about how that show came about and how it's affected our lives and the ups and downs since we've been in that show. I think that Jason has a really incredible story. And uh, he's out in Los Angeles, as I am right now, working in um, TV and film and, and writing like crazy. He's a really incredible guy, and uh, I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Here is Jason Michael Snow. Hi, Jason. Hi, Rory. Welcome to Living the Dream. This is, it's happening. <laughs> I feel like I'm living a dream currently. You are. Great. I yeah. mean, it's all right, but <laughs> um, it's good to have you on the podcast, bud. Thanks, man. We've known each other for a long time now, but I was trying to remember when we first met. Was it at the first reading that we both did of Book of Mormon? It was the summer of 2009 
when we did the last reading at the Vineyard Theater. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Is that when you joined? That's when I joined. Okay. Yeah. You guys had done, I think, one reading of the full version before that, and then a reading of Act 1 before that. Yes. And I jumped in in the second reading of the of both acts. Okay. And then we became mission companions. Yeah, we did. At least in the first yeah. uh, two by two, we were paired up. I was yeah. Elder Green. Yeah, and I was Elder... I had dumb names. It was either Marshall Cross or jo- oh. Jonah Davis. <laughs> I forget. One of them I was I was in Uganda, and the other one it was the one I, that I think, we were in. I think... Japan. Now, you know, like, there are t- several people who know exactly the answer to this, listening. Yeah. And I think that you must have been Davis in the beginning. Wasn't Cross, like, in Uganda? I don't remember. I honestly don't remember. Wow. How long has it been since we... How, when did you leave the show? 2014. So it'll be five years this Five years. Yeah, I left like the year before, so it'll be six years yeah. for me. Wow. What did you go and do right after? Um, I did uh, two off-Broadway shows at Second Stage. <laughs> right, Little Miss Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine. And that Nobody, um, loves, Nobody you. loves You. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Both Old Globe, right? Mm, yes. Yeah. No, wait, I think Little Miss Sunshine was La Jolla. La Jolla. Yeah. 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 But, but both um, San Diego. Yeah. I didn't do a, either of them there. I just did them at second stage. I literally was at second stage for like oh. six months after. Before. So Adina Menzel. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do the out of town. I'll do yes, it when it comes to sure. New York. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. For sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I've got the uh, Adina Menzel writer. <laughs> um, yeah. The but, I am. So let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, what you're doing right now. You have oh. a web series. We're in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. We're yes. both Broadway musical theater gays living up life here. In sunny California. In sunny California. Although today it's windy California. It's very windy. Is that the Santa Ana's? I think they call them Santa I think Anna's. that's what they call it. Um, and the power's out, like yes. blocks from here. Yes. And all those all the stoplights are out. I know. Yeah. And people I'm, are being very polite. They are. Which I'm, I'm very, very proud of. How many fights would break out in New York City? Oh. Yes. Blocks, and and everyone left. here is just kind of like, no, 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 you were here first. You guys go ahead through the light. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. And you're like, oh, th- thank you. Thank you. Can you can we maybe keep this? Yeah. When the power comes back on? I know. No, everyone <laughs> was very, very uh, decent to each other. Yeah. It was great. That's nice. But um, it's, it's a big change for yeah. uh, us folks from the theater community in New York to come out to Los Angeles because we have such a sense of community mm-hmm. in New York and it's hard to even know where anyone is in L.A. And I just feel here too. Well, what I say when when people ask me the difference, my thoughts on the difference between New York and LA is that in New York, you're all on only a handful of subway lines that all converge into one location usually, right? Like if you're in theater, you're always only going to like 42nd to 54th street. And it's that small little pocket of, of the world. And so when you're there, you're always going to, and everyone's always kind of filing in from their various locations to get to that little like grid. And you're always going to run into someone, you know, or, or someone that you have a relationship with or a friend of a friend and then plans get made and then more plans get made. And it just feels so social because of that. Right. And I also think because your, your mode of transportation is a social mode of transportation rather than being in your car. Right. And here I just feel like the city isn't trained I don't know, you know, well, no, no pun intended or all puns intended. They're not trained to, to be social, uh, in like this, you know, 
spur of the moment way. Right. And so, you know, you don't see people on the street randomly and be like, hey, what are you doing later? Oh, nothing. Great. Let's all go out for dinner. Like, let's get a group together. Yes. Well, you also just don't see people on the street. Yeah. So yeah. You just don't bump into anything. You have to be very active and and motivated to see someone. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it's hard to meet the right group of people out here. Um, and I think that's really hard for a lot of New York folks to deal with. I mean, have you had other friends who've come out here? I was out in LA first. So I had like my group of right. LA people and then went to New York. And I feel like... Did it, you come back to that group of people? Were they like, were they all kind of still here my, when you got back? Yes. Some of my closest friends still nice. to this day. And and I feel it's kind of like where I had to prove myself that I can make something happen and work, um, you know, and it was completely broke and trying to get ahead in this business. And then in New York, you have that community that is just already there and you just kind of like check in and they're like oh welcome okay yeah get in line and mm-hmm. here's your audition at equity you know, yeah like exactly you kind of know I remember actually going. i remember coming up with a game night there was a group of us who would go to these non-equity auditions uh-huh. and like do the, the the open calls oh yeah and we would you'd be sitting there with all these other people who aren't part of the union and you're just sitting there all day and you'd be like what are you guys doing later and we, this group of us, all eventually like went to the same catering company to oh, like wow. survive, yeah. and then we all kind of started like a little game night, and then half of them ended up in Mormon. You're kidding? Yeah, on the tour, like Kevin Murphy is one of them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah, and we, I mean, we used to like we were neighbors in Astoria. We would go to open calls together, and we catered together. It's it's also like just a common thing that when you're going on auditions, oh. you're always with the same group of guys or people who mm-hmm. are very similar to you because you're trying to get the same role. Yes, yes. Yeah, and that's the healthy way to to deal with that, decide to be friends rather than... Oh, yeah, then get competitive. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, there's there's nothing useful to that. No. I I would say, luckily, I only only have one mortal enemy uh, (laughs) in the business. Really? Oh, my God, there's one person that just makes my blood boil, that I'm like... (gasps) Because of the way they've treated you or because of the, the... the, the jobs that they've oh gotten. no it's just jobs they're nice right, per- they're a right. nice person a very right. nice person and yeah. for no reason other than just me being a petty horrible human being i like when they have a success i'm like ugh, yeah. and i get so mad about it for no reason well, it's it's so normal it's, it's <laughs> it, i mean that's we all have that to to say that you don't have that with a certain person or some kind of jealousy or comparing yourself to somebody else You'd be lying. You'd be like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not a person. You know, like, of yeah. course you do. And especially in our industry, which is actually very small, you know, that we Absolutely. run into the same groups of people all the time. So how do you kind of, like, acknowledge your feelings about this person <laughs> and set it aside so it doesn't kind of destroy you? I I think, ne- like, when I was 28 or 25 even, and I was like doing a character in like a bunch of readings and then they would get that character for the show mm. or like, so you're saying like the Adina Menzel thing mm-hmm. that you were blaming. Yeah. But they, I just want to be on record. This they, is not They were me. Adina Menzel and <laughs> I was who, Stephanie J. Block. Okay. And, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Um, uh, okay. but they, the, uh, no, it's not, it's not you, uh, that I'll say on mic. Uh, when we turn it off, I'll, I have a lot to talk to you about. about this no, um, uh, I, uh, I think it's been age. I think it's been time and just, and just the self-confidence of like, man, I've had, I'm, ha- I'm happy with my career. 
I really hope they're happy with their career because boy, they've had a good one. And, and it just kind of feels like, you know, what doesn't matter anymore? This, this, this competition, this, this like fake competition. Cause it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, and every, every now and then like, like just recently there was an announcement and my writing partner was here and he was like, I have to just brace you. This thing happened. It was a thing I had gone in for and gone in for and gone in for, for I think three years. And like, then this announcement came out and I, in a bit, I just like, in, I took my like phone out of my pocket, my wallet out of my pocket and just walked into my pool in all my clothes. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and they were like, you're such an idiot. And I was like, this is my coping mechanism. And I'm like, and now I feel fat. <laughs> I mean, you, you have to develop a sense of humor and you, you have ha- to find yes. a way to laugh. Yes. Cause it, cause again, it doesn't matter. Like, all the jobs I don't get don't go to this one person and all the jobs they don't get don't go to me. We, you know, and it also doesn't matter anyway, because like, I, I hope and knock wood, knock wood, but I, I feel like I've been able to do what I really want to do. And like the, the shows I haven't gotten you, I mean, I don't know if you feel this way. This feels altruistic and dumb to say. So forgive me, you know, for inducing an eye roll comment, but I just feel like, all the jobs I haven't gotten to do, I'm so thankful for not having gotten to do them because the life moments and events that have happened have been so necessary for me to go through that I wouldn't have gone through had I gotten the job. Right. You know, like my, my, to, to make it very real. And I mean, you know, this whole situation, but for people listening, my, my mom uh, got cancer and she's my best friend and she had cancer and, and passed away from it in 18 months. It was like diagnosis and they tried to operate and it didn't work. And then she passed away and for that year and a half, I went in for waitress and got cast and then and then got uncast because it they because they changed their mind before they went to Boston. Right. And had I gone to Boston, I wouldn't have been there for my mom's last summer. Right. You know, and just things like that that, that like, you know, once you've had it happen enough times, I mean that's an extreme version of it, but like once you've had enough versions of life happen to you that are that are you can look back on it and be like, you know, I'm glad I didn't get that job because I was able to do this other thing or I was able to work on myself or I was able right. to discover this other artistic thing, you know, whatever the... Well, and also for something as beautiful as, you know, and important as having that time with your mom, yeah. it, it takes a little bit of experience in life to understand the value of, of that, to know and to be able to... Uh, realize how priceless mm-hmm. it is. There's mm-hmm. no job that will make you uh, happier, regret, happier than spending time yeah. with your parent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right. And which is, you know, that was one of the most, I can't believe it was 18 months. It felt even shorter, you know, yeah. just from, from the outside of, of, of knowing how um, difficult that was it, to, to, when you're going through something difficult like that and you still have to show up for your career mm-hmm. you know like you're home maybe you're getting an audition and you're like well i did the spongebob workshop oh during really? that mm-hmm. so you so you did a workshop and you're you're going back and forth you're trying to keep things going i remember many times in life when i i was like i don't want to do this project or this audition but i have to for the version of me that's three months from now who yeah. needs that job or will need to be able to, to move on. Um, but how do you find the strength when you're going through something as difficult as losing your mother? Sometimes I think you don't. I yeah. mean, I, I get, I, you know, I was raised Catholic and so I'm real good at guilting myself and judging myself. Same. Mm-hmm. 
And I just feel like, you know, I, I just watched them. Um, I just watched Big Mouth. Uh-huh. Uh, and season two on Netflix, uh, streaming now. Um, they, <laughs> they have Andrew a, Annals is they, yes. And he's very funny in it. Yeah. Uh, they have this section where this girl, her parents are divorcing and she's acting out because of it. And first of all, my parents, you know, they divorced. And so I recognize that all too well. There's a, there's an episode where they have a depression cat, a depression <laughs> kitty played by, uh, Jean, um, um, Marsh, Jean Marsh. From um, um, from that show on Netflix about the about Professor X and and with um Dan Stevens. Anyway, uh, oh. anyway, uh, Legion. Legion. Oh, yeah, okay. the, the, the 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 woman from Legion, right? Who who runs the, okay. the school? Um, anyway, her, she's the depression kitty, and she had this line where she's like, she's like, no, don't you want to just like curl up in bed all day and like sleep until like noon or one o'clock with like reruns of friends in the, in, like on the TV, but you're not really facing the TV. You're just like looking away. And I was like, Oh my God. I was like, that is the most accurate, funny, very specific, but real. Like I have those days here in LA sometimes yeah. where I'll just be like, Oh my God, I, I, I'm laying in bed. I'm watching TV. Not really falling asleep sometimes. And like not doing anything, and it all feels very reminiscent of this like crazy depression that only really set in around the time that mom got sick. Right. And I think those times, I I I think I'm a crazy person, but I've talked to people who've lost a parent, and they all say they kind of live in this world that exists where you talk to yourself. Hmm. And I really talk to myself like a crazy person, so I'm so thankful I live alone sometimes. Because <laughs> uh, like, like I, I I haven't done this in front of Daniel yet, but I but I I talk to myself, and and sometimes I just say Daniel, your boyfriend, Daniel, my boyfriend, and I literally say, I I can't believe I'm admitting this out loud. I like say like, hey buddy, get up. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell myself, I call myself like buddy or pal and like try and like talk to myself the way I would to like my younger siblings and just be like, you got to get up. You got to start your day. Yeah. You have to, you have to just put one foot in front of the other and go. And what I found is for me, my, my, um, shortcut to, to getting over that hill is to, to go for a walk outside. And so I have an alarm set that goes off at 9 a.m. every day. Mm. And at 9 a.m., it's one of my favorite jazz songs because that also puts me in a good mood. So I, like, get up. And at 9 o'clock, my favorite, my Mel- my favorite Mel Torme song comes on. <laughs> and I get out of bed. And, I, and if I don't feel like showering, if I don't feel like eating, then I'll just put on my little slipper shoes and, like, go for a walk around the block. And then come back. And usually by the time you've done that, you've taken enough breaths outside and you've woken your body up that you feel right. like, okay, cool. I don't want to go back into bed. Do you feel like, I love that because it kind of gives you a routine no matter what's happening because yeah. our days are not routine. Yes. We we are always doing something different every day. It's even day. harder being in LA when you're yeah. on a shooting schedule because mm-hmm. you're not shooting the same hours, right. the same days. Like when you're in a Broadway show, you know, you're rehearsing at that theater six days a week, yes. you know, 10 to six. Yeah. And then you're at the theater eight, eight times a week specifically. Yeah. So you have a very set schedule. And even like when you're a working actor here, you don't have a schedule no you have to make a schedule for yourself yeah you have to kind of give yourself that framework to start with to start your day or you'll just wade and you know in in waters that just like feel like they go on forever you'll walk into the pool with your clothes on there you go there you go gosh i hope you had a few walks around the block after that dry off no it was more just to make my friends laugh Uh, and that just felt great that's that's always always very important 
Um, so let's go, let's start from the beginning. You grew up in Washington. Spokane, Washington. Spokane, Washington. Yeah. Um, and did you start doing theater right away? Yeah, my stepdad, uh, he was like this, like, like kind of from like a blue collar family of like uh-huh. people who just like had a vocation and worked, you know, right. like there's a, there's a huge factory in Spokane called Kaiser Aluminum that t- so many of my relatives just worked for Cause like you wake, you grew up in Spokane, you work at Kaiser or you teach high school or whatever. Right. So for him having an artistic son was a new thing. And in a way that like, I think he was trying to be a good dad. I was also think, you know, it was, you know, being a step parent, I think can be tricky. Sure. So he read in the paper that they were having auditions for Charlotte's web at Ooh. Spokane children's theater. And, and was like, hey, hey, Jay, here, here's this thing. I know that you like to listen to musicals because my mom would play records all the time. Right. And he's like, you want to audition for a musical? And my, my mom, I never forget, it was his impetus. And my mom was like, was like yeah, let's, let's do it. So I went and sang Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious as my very first audition Man. song, which was my lucky audition song for a decade. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then... And then just started doing children's theater in Spokane. And then I started playing piano, started taking tap lessons until I got bullied out of taking tap lessons. How did you get bullied out? Oh my God. I remember leaving the bus at junior high uh, when I was like 13 and uh, I had them in my hand or I had them in my backpack and they were making a noise or something. And this kid was like, what are you doing? Or what's that noise? And I, and I was like, oh, I'm my tap shoes. I'm going to tap lessons. I'm going to tap class. And he's like, that's for girls. And I was like, yeah, but also like Gene Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) and he goes and then he literally i don't know if i can say this but called me called me the the gay f word Uh and it was the first time anyone ever said that to me and i was like oh really am i i don't want to be that and i went home and quit i was like i told my mom i was like i don't want to do this this year i have a lot going on you know i'm in junior high so i don't really want to i don't really want to dance anymore there's a lot and she was like oh okay i'm so mad that i did that because i wish i had stayed like tap dancing because I, I really liked that. I didn't really like doing any other kind of dance, yeah. But I liked it, and and so then I just kept doing it, and then and then I and I played piano all the time, and I just kind of acted for fun. But I was really serious about piano playing. And then when I was sixteen, I think you and I have talked about this. When I was sixteen, we built an addition to our house, and I fell through a window, and I got I got this right. this scar on my right arm. And Which is so badass. It's, it's a it, good one. My my choir teacher in high school always called it my Luke Skywalker because oh, like because yeah. you could when it was healing you could see all the things moving. Oh, and really? it was like the end of Return of the or the end of Empire Strikes yeah, Back, yeah. and he's got his new hand. Yeah, it's um, crazy. Yeah, and I couldn't, and because of that, I can't feel my right hand still at at thirty five. Still can't feel it. So I I and anything. Uh, from from my, my 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 first like three fingers, my thumb, my index, and my middle finger, because wow. I severed what's called the the median nerve to your hand. Wow. Um, and so after that, when I was going to junior year of high school, I couldn't I couldn't apply for scholarships. I couldn't, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, I guess my piano career isn't going to be a thing because I can't go to college for this. And I and I and this new drama teacher came to Ferris High School, and her name was Mary Cooper, and and I auditioned for the musical, and she and I became like best friends. And she's still like one of my closest friends from Spokane. Wow. And like, she's like, I think you should try theater. She's like, I think you should really give it a shot. And so she coached me on my monologues for Boston Conservatory. And I got in and I got a scholarship. And I was like, I guess I'll keep trying this. And then it just snowballed. And I just kept trying to wow. like work. And what was your experience at school there? Hard. Cause yeah. I didn't, uh, I wasn't, you know, a lot of kids from, from around the country all went to like performing arts high schools right. or had voice lessons or had, you know, training. 
And I was that guy who had done children's theater and tap danced and then did like anything goes at Ferris High School. And that was right. my training. Yeah. Oh, I remember we did Crazy for You my senior year and I watched the PBS version and I just stole everything Jim Walton did. Wow. You know, from that they filmed at sure, Paper Mill. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, and I watched that Paper Mill broadcast of Into the Woods. And so I was like, well, if it's good enough for Joanna Gleason, it's good enough for me and I'll steal everything. Wait, that was at Paper Mill? Yeah. The one that's recorded is mm-hmm. at Paper Mill. Yeah. Yeah, they. I think they. I don't know why, but they. I. I it says from Paper Mill Playhouse. I think in the credits. Oh wow! Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't think it's at the. What was it? Imperial? Who the hell knows? I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't, I don't know. know. All I know is I watched that a million times. Oh so. yeah, I wore that VHS tape out. Wow! But so I went to school with that. Was my acting training was copying. You know, yeah. into the woods and crazy for you. Yeah, it takes a lot of skill to just copy something, though. Like, I, you know, I, I could try to copy something at that age, but I wouldn't have been able to do it. I mean... So you just had, like, a lot of raw talent, and luckily you found yourself in a place that was going to shape it. Well, and and after halfway through school, they, they have you re-audition. They make you re-audition. Re-audition. Like, mm-hmm. What is that? They call it promotionals, but it's like the opposite Ooh, of what it sounds like. Great, and they like you, the and gauntlet. Yeah, really. So, so you, it's tough because you spend you know sophomore year, you go in and and they're like, great. So at the end of this first semester, you're going to sing two songs and do two and do a scene with someone. And if we don't like your scene, then you're going to have a monologue prepped. So you have to prep a monologue, prep a scene, and re- get two songs ready. And every future teacher that you'll ever have sits in a dark theater and watches every kid in sophomore year re-audition. And then over December break, you get told whether or not you pass. And if you didn't pass, then you're on probation for the rest of the semester, for the second semester. And you have right. to re-audition again or you get kicked out. Right. And I was told I was fine acting and I was, I was funny. And then they said, but you can't sing. So you have to like really work on your voice because you can't sing. And I switched voice teachers um, because the lovely and talented Miss Catherine McPhee was in my class and she wanted to go to LA and do soap operas, I think, Hmm. and left. And so her spot was opened in this voice studio of this woman that I liked. So I went to her. And so in Mormon, when we got to write our own bios, because my my first Broadway show was South Pacific and Lincoln Center is very strict about no editorializing. So like, Uh you know, no thank yous. Just state your credits and that's, right, that's right. your bio. Okay. So Mormon was the first bio I could like say thank you mm. in. And so I thanked my high school drama teacher and my college voice teacher. Cause those mm. are the two women that are the reason I have a, a job or right. a, a life outside of, you know, Spokane, Washington. Isn't it so crazy how drama teachers in high school and, and our teachers in, in college and uh, as well, that the amount of influence they have over their students, all over Broadway. It's like, yeah. it actually are the reason that theater and performing arts exists on any professional level is because they, everyone was kind of discovered in a younger age mm-hmm. to keep going. I mean, did, did, were they able to see you in the shows or? They um, must have known that you did that. I'm sure. Yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, and I, I sent them playbills and and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And and what I what I do is I, I I try as often as I can to go back to my high school in Spokane and talk and and just right. like you know kind of basically just do this yes. with with the high school kids. Um, this Thursday I'm flying to Spokane to go and do a two day workshop. Wow. With all the high schoolers from a theater. Um, thing that I went to in high school called INTAF. It's like the International Theater Arts Festival. Wow. Uh, or no, it, the Inland Northwest Theater Arts Festival. That's what it's called. God, I hope that's right. Ugh, I don't know. We'll bleep it out. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it's it's this cool festival where like high schools from like Idaho and Montana right. and like the sticks of Oregon all come into Spokane and 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 just do workshops with a bunch of professionals. Wow. It was and it's really cool and so I so I'm going back on Thursday to like do a couple workshops and teach a teach a tap class, teach a tap workshop. And it's I you know, yeah, the those teachers are so like if I could be a philanthropist and give to anything, I would like give so much money to that high school arts program. Wow. Cause it's just like, to me it was, you know, so many people, like I met so many nerds and mm. I met so many like outcasts that like were just creative, but like in a town that really, you know, celebrates football. Right. You don't really, you know, like if you're in, if you're good at music, no one cares really. Right. Unless you play in like the football marching band. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it's a, it's a, yeah. It's this, it's such a sports centered thing that, as so many communities are. And yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Because I think be. it's easy to say like, oh, they scored points, therefore they're good, versus like, oh, they can sing, therefore they're good. And you're like, well, I don't really know. It's an objective. It's a subjective thing, right? You know, like sports, you can be more objective about. I think because you're like, yeah, either they ran fast or they didn't, right? Versus like, I don't know if they acted that scene well or not. Sure. So it's hard to like throw, you know, it's, I think it's hard to be, I think it's hard to be like, um, uh, passionate about it as a culture, as a society, mm. because like even my, you know, my best friend and I will, will go see like bad times at the El Royale. Mm. And like, he had one experience seeing the movie and I had a different experience, you know, and, <laughs> and you walk out and it's just so completely, it's yeah. so subjective. So Absolutely. if I could be a philanthropist and just throw a shite ton of money to those high school arts programs in cities that don't get that attention. I would love it. Yeah. You know, just cause like, it's the reason I have any business doing anything in the city of LA is that I started from a teacher who took this hyperactive kid and, you know, made him sit down and learn a house of blue leaves monologue after school. <laughs> <laughs> There's some good ones. The one about making a bomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I had to do that one too. That was my college edition monologue. Yeah. 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 Uh, probably in one of those monologue books. It was in the book. Yeah. yeah that was like yeah. an orange and white and yes. like maroon colored book. Yes. Monologues for young male actors. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and then you like work on that all the time. And then you've never, I've ne- never been asked to do a monologue nope. professionally. Nope. It's so weird. I got it? asked to do one Shakespeare monologue when I graduated college. Uh-huh. And I, and I had one. Yeah. But good Lord, if I could tell you any of it now. Yeah. It's always about auditioning with the pages from a scene that you're going to be doing. Yeah. And so I, I was, I always thought as soon as I graduated, like, why didn't we do this a little more in school? Mm-hmm. Like, I really felt like we got to brush past that. I know. And I wish like, we could have worked with actually material. all it is. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny. Um, okay. So you graduated from school and you said you were in audition room, seeing the same people oh, at, yeah. at the equity room. You were catering. So you had to have side jobs. You weren't, living the high life no no i graduated college and um got a pretty good professional gig at goodspeed i got i did uh, frederick and pirates of penzance at goodspeed right when i graduated oh wow that was really fun yeah yeah and it was this all this new version that like nell benjamin was working on and um uh john mcdaniel like a whole bunch of cool people yes yes i saw a version of that um and then when they went to paper mill they they uh someone who's part of the the production team creative team were like hey we're gonna we're gonna take you with us and we're gonna say goodbye to the girl that was your your lead girl and i was like oh okay because all right there was an age difference between the two of us right and they were like yeah she's a little you know she's a little 
she's a little old. And at the time, I think she was not quite 30. Wow. And I'm like, that's now looking back, I'm like, that's terrifying. Yeah. But they're like, yeah, she's a little old. So uh, we're going to take you with us to Paper Mill and not take her. And then the press release came out uh, and it was like, Barrett Foa playing Frederick in Pirates of Penzance opposite. That's how you found out. And that's how I found out I didn't get the job or how how I found out I wasn't going forward. And so I was like, oh, I guess I'm broke in Astoria. (laughs) Oh my God. And I guess I should wait tables or something. So I think in New York, before I got my first, before I like kept, you know, knockwood, knockwood, kept working. Did you I, have an agent when you had, were going to I did. Either? Yeah, I was with Brett Adams. Okay. Uh, they were my, that was my college. Like, they were so, so sweet to me. And uh, they, yeah, they were my first agency out of college. And they, um, they, they were like, don't worry, you know, you'll, we'll get you other jobs. But like, that was my learning how not to wait for the phone to ring because it, then it didn't for a long time. And so I, I think I had, I think I was with five different catering companies and I worked at two different restaurants. And I remember one time I got fired from a catering company because I, we went to, um, we would do private parties at like houses in like New Jersey, like fancy mansions in New Jersey. Mm. And like, like we did like Chris Rock's house a whole bunch. And I like got to meet his wife and she's like super cool. Uh, and one of these houses we did had a ton of animals and I'm wildly allergic to everything. And I had a full on asthma attack at the house and the woman her her who's hosting the party her husband was like a was like a general practitioner like a fancy doctor or something in new jersey and uh he couldn't have been a general practitioner because their house was huge (laughs) but (laughs) but they she he was something and she took me upstairs to his to his like his bathroom and like gave me like an inhaler and i was like thank you and then she went to the people and she was like he's a liability he can't work for your company and they fired me and i was like ah what (laughs) Are you serious? Yeah. So I got, so, and, and so then, and then another, that's another moment where I was like, okay, cool. So you have to just be mindful of like watching out for yourself in, in the way that you need to, you know, and like, I, you know, I brought my inhaler with me for all the, for all the next uh, gigs that I did for other catering companies. Wow. Yeah. And, and I, and I pounded that pavement like crazy. I mean, we, my, my friends and I went to like every open call, you know, when we didn't have our equity cards, we would go to like five five thirty in the morning and like sign up on those lists. Yeah, and like just what wait is that? and wait is and wait. Is that still happening in the same way? I think there's some I kind of like internet sign up. Now. Yeah, I hope there is. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think it's changed. Like a we still bit. had, you know, MySpace when I <laughs> yeah. was auditioning. Sure, yeah. You know, so like I think I think Facebook still had the article in front of it. It was called the Facebook when yeah, I got yeah, to yeah. New York. So. Yeah. There was a, it was a lot, you know, more grassrootsy yeah. to do those. But so I remember you would like, show up at five thirty in the morning oh, yeah. and get a spot to potentially get seen, get seen at Did like five thirty in the afternoon, right? And or, then would you have to stay that whole time? Yeah, because you never what, knew when they were going to come out and read your right. name. I came, I did a few of them, but by the time I came to New York, I was I was equity yeah. because I got my equity card in Los Angeles. So you have all these moments where you are trying to figure out how to feed yourself at crazy jobs you're showing up at 5 30 in the morning you're not getting the job mm-hmm. dealing with rejection sometimes you jump in the pool <laughs> but, that's, but, but jumping in the pool and laughing is is different than when you're going to your catering job that night or whatever side side work you have how did you get through those days and get yourself up to be at an audition at 5 30 in the morning when you knew you had to cater or work at a, a restaurant that night you know what was a big turning point i was in for uh i was in for the revival of south pacific uh for noah weisberg's role and and it was 
one of those where you get called back and then you get called back and you get called back. And so when you're 23, I think I was at the time or 24, when you get your third callback, you're like, oh, I, I've obviously booked this. <laughs> so I just need to like, you know, keep yeah. going to these callbacks because clearly I have the job. They're just waiting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I remember it was a day when Lincoln Center, we were, it was Noah and then me and then Noah and then me and then Noah and then me. And then uh, I think Craig Burns called and said, hey, look, so they're going with Noah because he's already done a Broadway show. Mm-hmm. And so it's on paper, it's just he's done it. And 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 so it's not going your way, but everyone loves you. And, you know, da, da, da. But, you know, when you're 23 and 24, you're like, that's so devastating because you're like, well, how can I ever break into this if I can't do it? Right. If I can't, you know, if I can't do an eight show a week thing and I then I can't prove to someone that I can do it. Yeah, it's totally crazy. And my and I was and that and I had to go to a catering gig that night. Mm. And my roommate and my best friend, uh, we we catered together and he came up to me and I was so sad. And he came up and he was like, look, here's the deal. You've been playing piano since you were a kid. And like because I still play piano, I just, you know, because it was just fun. It was a way of, you know, just like kind of de-stressing. Right. And he's like, I love watching The Simpsons. And I'm, and like, he's like, and I kind of have like a take on, you know, funny take on things. And our best friend, Misha, writes poetry. He's like, why don't we get together and just start writing? He's like, if we aren't, because all, all of us are trying to be actors. He's like, if we can't get arrested here in this town, let's just do our own thing. Right. And so we were like, great, what sounds funny to us? And that was right when Legally Blonde came out. And we were like, let's turn movies that should never be made into musicals into musicals. Right. So then all of a sudden our days had meaning. We had a schedule. You yeah. know, we had writing to do. Right. We would go to his parents' house on Long Island on writing retreat weekends. And the three of us would just go to like, to you know, to Rockville Center, Long Island and write, you know, Bill Paxton's I Want song for Twister the Musical. Oh, my God. Or, you know, or write, like, Show Me the Money from Jerry Maguire. Oh, my God. And, like, we would just do all these things, and it just felt so fun. And suddenly auditions stopped being the only way you could artistically express yourself. Auditions became this thing that you just were just like, okay, yeah, I've got this audition, but then I'll come home and write. And you had something something more fun to look forward to than, like, walking in and, you know you know, singing eight bars of a random song and hoping maybe you get a callback for a reading. Right. Waiting for the phone to ring, waiting for something to come to you. You were able to create and you weren't needing, you didn't have to have permission from somebody else. Yeah. You guys gave permission to yourselves. And it, and it saved all of our butts. I mean, the second we started doing that and the second, of course, the second we got um, the zipper factory, uh, they loved, we had, we made a demo of all the stuff uh-huh. and we talked to the zipper factory. The second we did that is when I booked my first off Broadway show, which led to being in the Xanadu national tour. Mm-hmm. And I was going to be gone for all of the performances. Right. And then my, my best friend Misha was working and then she booked something else and Ryan booked this crazy big reading and all of us became wildly unavailable for the, our own concert that we right. then were like trying to sell out at the zipper factory. Right. And after that, that was when I realized, okay, cool. When I'm in a slump or when I'm in a low time or downtime, I have to create my own thing. Yeah. And I don't know if that works for everybody, but for me, it, it, I, I have to do it because I can't have these auditions be the only thing artistically that happens in my life. Right. Because even auditions aren't that artistic. Like, there's not a way to really get rid of that energy. Right. It doesn't feel like you're really getting to have that communion with an audience or with you're doing your craft, even though it's so much of what we do in our craft. Yeah. But it doesn't, it's not the same satisfying feeling. No, because you, because you have this no matter how much, I mean, it's like, it literally is like dating. 
But it's almost like dating when you haven't like when you haven't had like a significant other for a long time. Yeah. And like my friends and I talk about this because one of my buddies hasn't had a long term boyfriend for a while, and he's like, I just feel like I go on these dates and I want to hide how desperate I am for this to be the date that leads to my husband. Yeah. And I'm like, I get it because you go into those. It's the same with auditions. You go into those auditions and you're like, I just want so desperately for this to be the job that pulls me out of my financial sadness, yeah. or the job that lets me do the one thing I've wanted to do since I was seven. Right. And you can't, the, it, the weirdest trick is what you have to walk into those rooms and it can't, you can't care about it. Yeah. I think you have to, and like walking into dating and mm-hmm. you can't really care if they're, you know, your soulmate or not. Right. It's just to like be present and be a human. And I think the only way you do that is when you find the thing on the side that becomes more fun. Right. That be, Which is, you know, it's, it, I think that that, uh, you know, is the, the tricky thing is finding that and letting yourself have the freedom to pursue it, you know, because once you do that and you open your mind up to other joyful things other than somebody giving you a job, then it it changes your DNA. It changes your, there's a weight that's lifted off of you. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's hard for us, especially when you come out of a program that's got your mindset like, this is what you do. You need to book this job. That's what's going to give you your You should always be in class. You should always be keeping everything like like keep your instrument really well oiled and well yes. fine tuned and yeah. and you're just like no just throw it away like yeah. do what makes you happy and and you know like my friend um uh in in LA he's a he's a very very talented musician and he writes like dungeons and dragons um scenarios, like scenarios or, wow. to then host extravagant lavish little parties right and then on the side is just so happens to be like a very accomplished music director wow but like for him, it's like, I can't wait for the phone to ring. I have to just yeah. do the thing that makes me happy. And right. then his like narrative structure then spills out into him being an excellent music director who's right. like, actually, to make this happen, we need this and that and that and that. And you're like, oh, you learned that skill set because you were writing scenarios yeah. you know, for your friend. Like, because when you're writing Dungeons and Dragons scenarios, you're trying to surprise your friends, right. aka an audience, right. you know, and then you take those dumb lessons you learn and you apply it to your profession. Yeah. And I mean, it, we're literally engaging in the thing that I started doing, you know, this podcast, it was not an artistic endeavor for me at all, but I do feel like the art of conversation and communicating with another human being and having people tell me these stories, it's changed me as an actor. It's changed me as a person. And I am so happy every time I send it off into the world and somebody listens to it. I don't know how many people are listening to this. My mom, Probably. Yeah, I, yeah, know, I yep. know that. But it, it what's more important is that I'm creating a thing and that no one asked for it. No one gave me permission to do it but myself. Mm-hmm. And that's so empowering in a in a business that we just don't have any power some days. Yeah. You don't have any kind of say over creating. So um do you it's find tricky. do you find that 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 you like to have your hands in a whole bunch of different pies, or do you find that like this podcast kind of gives you kind of checks all the boxes for you? Oh, I've you know I mean that I have a lot of pies, mm-hmm. a lot of pies, a lot of pies, a lot of pies, a lot of pies. You know, and you don't know which one's going to come out of the oven, right? No joke. So you yeah. have to kind of you have to keep looking around to figure out what other ways you can uh, stimulate yourself and create. And yeah, got to bake a lot. Yeah, you do. And, and you know, that that has also come to me with uh, 
doing activism, doing uh, social social work, because that to me is more gratifying in mm-hmm. some ways. And, uh, you know, this whole belt the vote thing of doing voter registration, it's it's been a lot of work. And there are days uh, yeah. where I'm like, why am I doing this? And then you remember that there are so many people who are not registered to vote. And I just... I'm so proud of the theater community for stepping up and getting to witness that, you know, Uh, like what we were talking about in the beginning is that knowing that New York theater community and the power that it has when it works on something together and they have come together for voter registration. So that has inspired me and has nothing to do with art, but it's given me this new lease on life in a time that is so negative and sad. I think that's incredible. Wasn't it you? Was it... What's her name? Was it Emily? Was it you, Gavin, and Emily? And Jenny. 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 Yes. Sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry, Jenny. Um, I knew there was a Y at the end. Right. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, the three, because the, the, you guys did all that stuff while we were For doing- Broadway Impact. Yeah. yeah we, we were doing marriage equality work. And that's, you know, that was the first time I had ever done anything like that. And I wasn't employed. You know, I was very, very scared about how I was going to survive in New York. But- Prop 8 had been passed in mm-hmm. California, and I had just learned how to canvas and phone bank working and volunteering for Obama's campaign. So I was like, well, I have this time. I have to figure out if I'm going to do something about this issue that's so important or if I'm just going to you know, stand on the sidelines and just hope that, that there's an audition that fills yes. this void. And I said, fuck it. I'm going to just do dive into this thing and do everything I can. And I couldn't believe like within a month or two of that happening, I was doing a reading of the book of Mormon and I didn't have to sacrifice this passion for something new to be faithful to my first passion of, of being a performer. I, I, in fact, it, it made that more, Wonderful, And I also felt like that experience of working on a nonprofit, it let me walk away from Mormon, yeah. which was a hard thing. And I want to talk to you about that, that, you know, we were given this gift, you know, we've, we've been talking about our, our struggles, but we were a part of the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. which maybe we should talk about the beginning rather sure. than the end first. But, you know, that having Broadway impact and having something else other than uh being an actor fulfill me, let me walk away from it and know that life had more to offer and that I would be able to have more experiences if I gave myself that, that opening. Uh, so, okay. so you had, you were in the third reading of Book mm. of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we did a couple of, uh, workshops, which mm-hmm. means we put it up on its feet, did dancing. That was like, uh, at least a year. Yeah. Maybe more. We did. Yeah. I, I don't, the, the timeline, it, because I, I, I opened South Pacific. Oh, I eventually got South Pacific. So oh, right, that, right. Yeah. You yeah. went into that role. Yeah. So, and yeah. that was, that was a year and change after I didn't get it. Right. And then like how life is so crazy. Yeah. And then I got it. And then, and then the day that I was having my opening night, which was a Tuesday in July, which didn't matter to anybody else but me. And it was my first night on Broadway. I was with my mom and my stepdad. We were walking down Ninth Avenue and I got a call 
from my agent being like, um, hey, so you're gonna, you were asked to do this reading with the South Park people. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't know, it's called the Book of Mormon. I was like, I don't know what that is. Great, I'm in. Uh, And that all happened on the same day. Wow. It was nuts. And so for some reason, Mormon always has like this very solid timeline in my life of, we did that last reading, like end of July or early August for uh, two weeks at the Vineyard. Mm -hmm. Then we went and did the first workshop in February of 09. Okay. And then we did... Like, I was there, but I need you to kind of walk through. Yep. You got the, and, got then, the um, and then we did the last workshop at Juilliard in August. Right. Right when we closed yeah. South Pacific. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was running back and forth from across the street, because we were also gearing up to film it for PBS the week that... One of the weeks that we were doing it with, with Casey and everybody at Juilliard. Wow. Yeah. So oh, I was running from, like... Right. We were I doing, remember. like, camera blocking stuff. Yeah, or, I remember or, that. Yeah. Wow. And then we found out halfway through that workshop or halfway through the performances that we already were just going to go to Broadway. Yeah. And we had a job waiting for us in January. Yeah. That final performance, I think Stephen Sondheim was yeah. there. It was, it was such that a was crazy awesome. time because it was, uh, I have to say, like that workshop previews before we opened, that, that probably was the greatest part of the whole experience for me mm-hmm. when it was just a secret, when we knew what it was and people on the outside world had no idea. What well, we was... were terrified that, that everyone was going to be like, Oh, South park. Yeah. I roll, I roll. Yeah. And there was, there were moments where it was just like, yeah, maybe college kids would like it, but like maybe yeah. no one else will. Right. We didn't know if like there would be a matinee performance. Of no joke. Yeah. It might just be touring colleges after we close. Exactly. It, you know? But it, it, it was such a crazy, wonderful experience and was embraced. And, um, I felt like, especially um, because we were dance partners in the beginning, mm-hmm. I'm not the dancer. I wasn't bullied out of dance. I just didn't get, <laughs> get in the class. Listen, though, since since we were dance partners, may, maybe those bullies did me a favor because I'm not a dancer either. So, you know, maybe they were just trying to tell me what I should have already known. I, I feel like what was so great about, like, the, those Mormon boys is that we all went through that experience. And I felt like we were all such equals yeah. in in our ability and what we brought to the table um, in terms of everyone was just a really good actor first. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I really felt like this is a, a troupe of actors and we can sing and, and do some dancing, but like we're going to tell a story and um, the whole think, cast was. I like think that. that started with, with those workshops and the, and the readings. Cause I remember, you know, the, 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 the creative team that was heading that ship did table work yeah. with all of us. Yeah, research. And, and-, and, and I remember one time we, we, we would do, it was when you had that zero baptism song oh, and like yeah. Kevin, Kevin might've been your like lover, but maybe not. And, right. and there was a moment where we're like, we, we, yep. And we, 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 we like, there was a second, a section where we all like freaked out at some point and, and like, uh, and and I, I just remember, like, they, they would come in and be like, hey, guys, here's a new scene. See if it works. And we'd stage it and try it. And then they'd be like, yeah, maybe. Right. Or like, no. And then they'd cut it. Or they'd, like, reuse a couple lines here and there, or, like, repurpose lines to somebody else. And yeah. it was so, like, it was so vibrant and alive because these guys were from this TV world of, like, we have to write an episode of a television show. In five in days. In five days. Right. That's so, how they write South Park. And And we would just be like cool all right great give us like new new scenes you know uh, the pro you you are a writer you write music so you understand this better than i do but what was so crazy is when we would come back from like a, several months off mm-hmm. in between readings or workshops we would come back and we would start to work on 
the the music and it was exactly what we had left mm-hmm. like and we would be like oh my god did they do any work well, what are we doing here yep. and they would be in a room in an office writing a new song and we were like oh boy you know are they going to be able to pull something off in just a few days and then they would come out a few days later with i believe yeah and you were like what or all american or all american all american was like a totally different song right all the way up through Juilliard, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Bible's All American, a trilogy. Yeah. All American, I think, was for like previews or in tech or yeah. like we didn't get that song until late in the yeah. game. No, I think that it was definitely something that was being put together in previews. I remember there was tambourines at one point. <gasps> there, Yes, I, they in front them. of an audience. Yeah. We oh, had yeah. tambourines yeah. in front of an audience. I forgot yeah. about that. Yes. Oh, my God. I remember... Um, uh, uh, you and me, but mostly me was a different song, yeah. which they then they then it was called something incredible, and they repurposed that into the bridge of you and me, but mostly me. Right. Wow. And it we was really like, should like all come together and remind each other about these things because yeah. I forgot about that. I um, love that song. The groove was just so cute. You and me, but mostly me. It's so fun to watch that too because like something incredible was like a cool groove, like fun, cute song. Yeah. But then you and me, but mostly me is like. So much like heads and shoulders, better storytelling. Yeah, and it's that that to me was one of those moments where I just had a weird out of body experience of like how lucky to be in this room and watch these people work. Yeah, so fast and so so fast, if so efficiently, you know, and also um, with with precision that lands. Yes, like because you know you could like throw a song out, put a new song in, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's a dud too." Yeah, but man, every time they went back to the drawing board, it came back way better. Way better. It was and they so didn't cool. waste any time on something that wasn't working. No, like that Josh and Andrew song. Yeah, in yeah, the in a, the coffee shop. Yes, there was a, a song before that big final scene yeah. where they were upset with each other and and. I think we only saw it once and it they, was cut. They learned it. They did. They performed it. Casey had them perform it for us. Yeah. And everyone was like, cool, we don't need this. Yeah. And and they weren't precious with any of it. No. It was so cool. Yeah. It, it was it was very interesting to have creators work on a, a musical that are just used to having a computer generate their idea uh-huh. <laughs> and animate it and, and, and just be like, no, that's not working. So let's just redo this entire thing in one day because they, they were willing to do that. Yeah. And it, you know, I hope they do it again one day. I Me would love too. to see, see a, a new show from them. It's also cool to watch. I think as any kind of an artist to watch someone be cool with not being precious about something. You know, like yeah. like they worked on you know something incredible for how long, right? How many years was was something incredible in every reading, every workshop, and then and then you know like Casey or or whatever that Juilliard team, you know, they were like, we don't think this accomplishes the right goal, and then yeah. everyone was like, great, cool, next song, yeah. let's do something different. Yeah, it was, and it's just so awesome to watch people at the top of their game be humble enough to be like, yeah, cool, great, doesn't work, out, bye. Right. And then let's put something new in. I loved watching that so yeah. much of like leading, almost like a leading by example of, of great. I can't wait to have my own show or I can't wait to create my own thing and be just as not precious with it as you yeah. guys are and, and be cool with like editing all the way until five in the morning. And yeah. I don't know. I mean, I over romanticized it, of course, because then when I did get in that position, I was like, this is so stressful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's cool to watch. Yeah. So we were in a a show that really caught fire and was so exciting. And for me, I don't know if it was for you, but it really was, you know, I had social media, 
but it really kind of like changed what social media was because I wasn't just engaging with my friends. I was engaging with strangers, theater fans, strangers and people I didn't know. And at times it became overwhelming. How have you navigated through social media and do you see it as a plus? Do you, what are the downsides of it for you? Well, my boyfriend, Daniel, uh, and his writing partner, Matt Wilkes, yes, just fully funded like $46,000. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, it, 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 they, yeah, they, yeah, okay. it got greenlit good, good. because of social media. Yeah. Like Daniel was on a, a show called The Lizzie Bennett Diaries on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And um, Matt Wilkes is like, he's got like tons of social media following. And the two of them were like, well, we love doing this sketch series and enough people watched it and they were, you know, put on all the, the, the sites, but they were like, let's just, let's just, you know, basically crowdsource right. people who like what we do and just see if we all want to get together. And in this weird hippie communal, like digital way, see if everyone wants us to keep doing what we're doing. And $46,000 worth of people said, yeah, let's, we want you to keep creating. Wow. So I love social media in these moments where it, it, it's a reinforcer to people of, of we really like what you're doing. We like the, what you're, what you're putting out. So please keep making more of it. Right. You know, so I, I, I wish I was better at it. I, I'm not good at it. What does that mean? Good at it. <sighs> like I, I probably should do an Instagram story every day or something, <laughs> you know, like, what do you think that is though? Like, like, because I think there is a new pressure on doing that. And mm-hmm. as if that's part of the gig now. And I, I'm not saying I don't feel that way, but I I have been able to, like, um, I don't do as much because I'm not in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in Hamilton, it's like, okay, look, here's a lot to look at. Yeah. That I know that the people who follow me want to see. Do you want to see me go to the gas station yeah. and, you know, run my errands? And, right. No. You want to see me drive through the Warner Brothers lot for a yeah. for an audition? Right. And I mean, you know, maybe people do, but there's also like... That's the Animaniacs Tower. You can just Google it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to take away from, like, people who do feel inclined to, mm-hmm. to share in that way. But I'm wondering where it comes from that now we feel like obligated to to do that and is that where is that taking what it means to be an actor i mean the hope is uh, i i think well of course i mean i think when i see someone who's disingenuous on that when someone's like hey you guys i'm so grateful like you guys mean so much to me and you're just like bullshit you don't believe that at all be a real person right you can i think you can kind of tell when someone's truly present and engaging with you on social media or, or just kind of like going through the motions and like being like, I saw someone else who was present and I'm in a fake being present and grateful and all that kind of stuff. Uh, So I feel like there's a checks and balances that exist just in, in what people decide to follow and people don't decide to follow, which then makes me nervous to engage because I would like to be authentic, but there's also a knowledge of like, even my vulnerability and even my authenticity the business side of me knows that like if I if people like it and subscribe to it, then I get further. Right. And so there's a weird like wrestling, at least with me, of of thinking like, I want to do it on my own. I don't want to do it because of some extraneous outward thing. You know, like I wanna I wanna get this job because I auditioned for it, not because my best friend is the director of it. Yeah. Even though I wouldn't also mind the job because my best friend's a director of it, because then we get to work together. Right. 
But I, you know, there's like a weird, I don't know if it's nepotism. It's like something that's different than that. But there's something about an authenticity of social media that, that I can't put, I can't connect to yet. Yeah. And so because of that, because I see some people on, on Instagram, on their stories, on Twitter, and like Tim Fetterly is a great example of this. He is like, everything he says is dynamite. Yeah. Everything he tweets is dynamite. And I've always wanted to ask him, I'm like, how much pressure do you feel to just constantly be always funny? Yeah. But I, and I haven't asked him that yet, but, but I feel like, remember when we were, remember when, when AOL was a thing sure. and we were all like in college with like, you know, our, our landlines mm-hmm. that you couldn't pick up the phone receiver yeah. to, to get on and people and, and away messages became a thing. Yeah. And so people would like leave away messages that were just kind of laundry lists of like going to the grocery store, then getting my haircut and then going to the thing and then doing right. that. And you're just like, who cares? I don't care. Yeah. Why is that an away message? And then some people would like leave like funny away messages and you're like, Oh, I want to do that. That's kind of funny. And I now have residuals of that of like, first of all, I shouldn't be so judgmental. Second of all, that was the beginnings of what all of this I think has blown up into mm-hmm. of like, no, some people do kind of want to know, like, like if you go to the grocery store, is it funny or is it interesting? Right. And I feel you have this pressure to be either funny or interesting. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't either, then, then you're, then it's a failure right. and you shouldn't even do it. Right. So then I, I just feel like I just, there's pressure to be funny or interesting. And if you aren't, then don't. And I feel like I don't know if I am. And I don't know if I want to go seeking the validation of asking strangers to like or comment on my stuff to tell me if I'm funny or interesting. Because then I worry that then I'll rely on people saying I'm funny or interesting to then, for then me, like five years down there to be like, oh gosh, people stopped telling me that I'm funny or interesting. And now that's all I have to hang anything on. Right. And I, you know, so it's like, I don't know how to balance it yet. Yeah. And I don't know if I want to balance it yet. Yeah, it's a very, um, it's something that you kind of have to sit in the driver's seat of and not let it drive you. Yeah. And I, you know, if my husband is listening to this, he (laughs) will make fun of me for saying that I have any kind of boundaries around it. But because, you know, he'll be like, oh, are you sending a Tweety, honey? You're sending, you know, like if I'm staring at the phone for too long, trying to think of the right thing to say. I am mindful of the fact that I'm sending it out to people. And a lot of times they're young, you know, theater fans who are on social media. And so I'm very careful about what I put out there. And I feel like you do have to have a presence. But there are days where I just don't want to... I, I, where I, I have to remind myself that I don't have to let the public into my day today. Yeah. Like it's not my, it's not their right and it's not my obligation. obligation. Yeah. And, and it's also like, you have to always check, like, is this something about your ego or validating something in yourself? And, you know, going through Hamilton, I think is probably why I'm so interested with this because it was like being shot out of a social media cannon. Oh, and I can't with, even imagine. You know, what we went through with Book of Mormon was like, do not talk about Book of Mormon outside. Everything of was walls. quiet. Yeah. You, you know, no performances of it outside of, of the theater. Don't film anything backstage. Don't ever film anything backstage. Yeah. You know, now there's no phones allowed backstage at Book of Mormon. I mean, it's very, very different because at Hamilton, everyone's live at all times uh-huh. backstage. You know, it's things are always being put on the internet. Well, and now I see the, the people who've, who've replaced us in Mormon. And like, I mean, I see like, I'm like, oh, look, there's my old dressing room. Oh, look, there's my, there's right. all these costumes. I'm like, oh, wait, I have like very little amount of pictures of any of that. Because right. we just, it just in 2011, right. 
that what that was a that yeah. was the exact opposite mentality. Yes. Yeah. It's just it's things have changed very very quickly. Yeah. And I don't know. I think we just have to be mindful of what it's doing to us as artists. Yeah. And it, what's the prior priority? And it, and you know in a way. Like, you know, you talked about Tim. He, he is so smart and funny. And there are so many people who are being creative. Um, but I wonder how much of the creativity is being put into something that just kind of like goes away that maybe could be put into um, something more permanent. Something more permanent. You know, and like, and I mean, also just because like someone like Tim, now we're just talking about Tim, but you know, yeah. he, he's. Hi, Tim Federley. Hi. Yeah. Um, he's, he's so, he's so great and smart and you know i hope that these are it's an outlet for some for someone to have more access to work and for for their work to be seen oh, and yeah. compensated for it as well well he 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 and i talked to uh because i was i was going around and i was doing a a, a pilot that I'd, I'd gotten i'd cobbled together a pilot about my my family life because oh, okay. i because all my siblings not right. all my siblings but all my siblings from spokane are adopted right and my mom passed away and so i had this like what if moment of like like, look at this crazy, like, cornucopia of multicultural kids. Yeah. And what if, you know, they all had to help raise themselves? And so I, you know, was like, let's make a little pilot pitch about my life. And I got super far with it. And then eventually uh, everyone was like, cool, this is great. Let's shelve it for now because we like it, but we don't want to take it out and have it be doors closed okay. on this concept. And I talked to Tim about it and he's like, look, I have never done anything that hasn't resulted in another job but maybe not from the job that I was doing. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I was asked to do like a, like a pilot on a, on a novel that he had worked on. And he, he cobbled that together into a script and then sent, and, you know, took it out and people were like, cool. So maybe no on this, but you're talented. So then maybe here's a movie. Huh. And then that's how he wrote Ferdinand. Wow. He got Ferdinand from a, from a script that no one wanted to buy. But then, but like he put all this energy into it, you yeah. know, and like, like I think even the beginning of like Simon and Schuster stuff with him with all those recipe books, the cocktail books right. that he started were because he just was like tweeting. Yeah. I mean, for someone like him, he, uh, there's the well is never dry, I guess that's just, yeah, you know, like yeah. for, 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 for the way. And, but and, I think work begets work and no matter yeah. what kind it is, you know, like I think so, so my, you know, my, my friends were like, are you really sad that they all kind of passed on or shelved your pilot for now? And I was like, no, cause I don't think that that was a month of, of like, a, I did it in a month and a half cause I didn't know the deadlines of anything right. cause I'm still such a newbie sure. and I, but I really believed in it and I felt emotionally connected to it. And I, and now I know what it's like to have a 13 page document yeah. on what you think a show should look like. Yeah. And 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 so if nothing ever comes of it, I mean man, the life lessons and the and the what I've already trained my brain chemically to even understand on like how to like like the couch you're sitting on right now uh is my writing couch. Hmm. So like I don't sit in the this chair by my desk. Like whenever I write anything, I sit right there and I hmm. put music on and like I just work for, you know, 3 hours. And like, routine. that's just my routine. routine. And it's just now, now I've got that under my belt to go forward and be like, cool. If this, this, nothing comes of this idea I had, then the skills I've learned in this moment, it probably will pay off at some point. Right. right. Cause like I played piano my whole life and then I was like, oh, I can't do that as a career. But then I started composing. And then from that, I did like all the music to the web series that my friends and I just shot. So like, you know, like, cool. I'm not headlining at Carnegie Hall playing Chopin, right. but, but that skill has been so useful. Right. So I just feel like there's no, no skill is wasted. It might just be repurposed. 
And so that's kind of the thing I'm trying to wrap my brain around with social media of like, boy, doing a story on Instagram, like last Saturday was the anniversary of the movie musical, the twist of the movie musical that we did at the Zipper Factory 10 years ago. I saw you post about it. And and (laughs) I had some strangers who who I'd never talked to on Instagram message me and be like, hey, I'm a burgeoning composer. Oh my God, my friends and I are doing this thing. And I try to like communicate to everybody that writes me on Instagram if I can. Um, and, 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 uh, so slide into my DMs. Um, and, and, and it was cool to just realize like, oh, this moment might not be for me. This might be like, Hey, here I am. And like, here's something I did 10 years ago and I'm really proud of it. And I just want to, you know, just throw it out there in the world. And then someone else is like, Oh, cool. My friends and I are doing the same thing. Good to know that this you know, isn't for nothing. Right. And so like, and then who knows, maybe they're the next Lin-Manuel Miranda and like watching other artists share their work is what galvanizes them to keep doing work. And again, like that to me, like that's, that's what this whole art, like theater community, certainly in New York. And I think a little bit more and more, the more I get to know LA, that it's just like, that's to me how social media can help is that like your experience can inspire someone else. Because certainly people's experiences have inspired me. Right. And it's just to kind of hopefully know that we're all blind. We're all crazy. We all don't know what we're doing. Mm. And like maybe someone will just like get a leg up with someone else. And then we'll all just kind of help boost each other up to keep creating. You're you're incredible because you have always, since you were working with those friends of yours, you've always been looking for ways to create your own shit. And that is so important to stay sane and creative as we've said a f- couple times here you have something <laughs> really funny and fun uh, a web series yeah now can you tell us about that a bit? <laughs> sure sure if you are uh if you are still in high school or younger this is where uh, you just you know hit that fast forward button for uh-huh, about okay. you know three three thirty second moments sure. uh we my my buddies lucas hazlitt and matt burrow and i uh uh, we're sitting around the pool right outside this door and talking about awful hookup experiences that had gone horribly, horribly mm-hmm. wrong. Um, you and most of my dressing roommates from Book of Mormon know a lot of mine. <laughs> um, and uh, and we just were laughing about it and we were like, let's just film these. Why the hell not? Like we're 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 all three wanting to like work. Yeah. And my boyfriend's brother is a is a DP, and so he was. So we were like, Will, can you film all this for us? Wow. So we, like Drunk History, decided we would film six of our worst hookup scenarios. And so we did, and we call it The Shallow End. Yeah. And it's basically, each of us get two episodes of recreating a terrible night. And and the thing that we, we had long conversations, too, about what we wanted to represent. And we were like, one thing we will never do is sex shame. We really, really want to make it known. Because like some of us have had some crazy moments. Like Matt had a moment where a guy confessed that he was into... Um, uh, drinking a lot of water and um, oh. going forward with that. Okay. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And we were like, let's make sure to not shame fetish fetishes. Sure. Because because why and who cares if it's not for me? That doesn't mean it shouldn't be for anybody else. Yeah. But the the but Matt's episode is a horror episode because the horror of it was the guy was like, hey, I want to do this sexual act with you later, but I have to take a phone call. I and so I'll be right back. And then Matt just sits there having to go use the bathroom and can't. And like wanting to like have a good night, and then eventually like the whole episode turns into like every our all of our favorite horror movies in one thirty minute episode, and then he eventually runs to the bathroom, and the guy's like, "Get out of my house." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so it's it's so great, 
and it's it looks so good. Thanks. I mean, it's the whole the whole thing is fantastic. And I know I've never done something like that, but I know even doing something so small is so much work. It's so hard. Yeah. Well, it we're is, a five man operation. I mean, yeah. it's it's Matt taught himself Adobe Premiere to edit because wow. we couldn't afford to pay anybody to do right. it. So Matt was like, "Yeah, I guess I'll just I don't know. I've Figure done iMovie." Yeah. And like, you know, he's like, I've edited bits for my wow. friends. So he taught himself Premiere and would use YouTube to like teach him how to do editing yeah. tricks. And then it's like, it's definitely not the same, but that's like the technical wonders yeah. that I'm doing right now is just teaching myself because I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, no one's going to do it for me. Right, right. Then like you can like call in PR and be like, hey, I have this idea. And they're like, great, we have seven booths yes. that are completely unoccupied. Right, right. Believe me, if anyone would have <laughs> helped initially, I would have taken that. But yeah. you, really, you really do, you know, once again, you can't wait for permission. You just have to keep just going. And I think that I think that sometimes people assume that after you've had the milestones of success that you've had, that then the things just start to come to you and you just kind of like pick and choose which ones you're going to take when it's really a hustle the entire time. Yeah. You're always working to figure out what, what comes next. So you might as well be the one who decides. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I've gotten lucky enough to where like some, some people that I've worked with in New York on those, like we did that Downton Abbey musical. Right. Yeah. We did the Russian Broadway shutdown musical. Oh yeah. yeah. And some of the people <coughs> that I've, that I've worked with on that, like they were just kind of like starting out or, or, or um, kind of just getting their, their foot in the door. And I was like, Oh, Hey, I remember you from this reading, like come, come and do this thing. And they're like, Oh, great. Awesome. Thanks so much. And then now they're out here in LA. And, and just very recently I got a lovely job because someone was like, Hey, I know this person. They had me do this thing in New York and now here I am. And they were, and it was just like a work begets work. And we kind of right. helped each other get jobs and again you know like i was saying earlier about like i would rather earn the job than than have a nepotistic thing it it feels nice to just have a moment where like i worked my butt off and i've done this thing and like hey come in and do this thing and then later on down the road they're like oh hey i've worked my butt off and i've done this thing and hey come do this thing and all of a sudden we just start helping each other out and suddenly you know someone gets finances and starts throwing them your way i mean scotty and i went to go visit Anne at south park studios Mm -hmm. before i had to fly back to new york and and Anne was like, oh, Trey, show Jason and Scott your your barbershop quartet that you wrote. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys got to come listen to it. And we listened to it. And, he's, and he was like, what do you guys think? What do you guys think? And we were like, why are you asking us? You have Emmys. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And, he, and he's like, what do you think? What do you think? And, and, and me being a dummy, I was like, well, you know, you know, like, you know, like those sixth and ninths, like it needs to sound like a, like an old Maxwell House coffee commercial. But it was so fun just because like we went to like say hi to a friend who was doing something that like we all are just, you know, like working and he's like yeah i can't figure this thing out and we were like well here's kind of a thought and then they were like just go do it and you know and it's just hilarious to kind of take a step back and be like yeah but like this is like top professionals doing it yeah but it it really isn't any different than just swinging by someone's house in the valley yeah it's all the same stuff it just you know i think you just got to just keep doing it and like keep you know like again that actually really making it full circle that to me is, I think, why competition doesn't shouldn't matter, right. and doesn't matter because like everything happens full, everything goes around in a circle always. Right. So like some days you might be able to help someone else, but then some days you're going to need help, mm-hmm. and and it just doesn't matter to be competitive with someone because like that job that I didn't get, you get, but then the job that you didn't get, I get, and then the job that neither of us got, someone else got, and it doesn't. It all comes out in, the, in a wash. It doesn't you, matter. You may have an arch nemesis, but you are also someone else's 
arch yes. you know, like that's, that's just the, you know, the truth of, we all feel that way about each other. And instead of holding on to that and trying to blame someone else's success for something that you're lacking, we should just hold each other up and yeah. just try to make more opportunity for each other. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which is, is which is why I think you know it's fun to have game nights coming out of auditions. Yeah, because it doesn't because then it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um. Well, thank you so much for Roy, talking this was with really us. Cool. Thank is you. it good? I Did love fun. This. Yeah, okay. a lot. It's nice, right? You know, yeah. get to sit down, talk with your friend, and you know, just remember why why we do all this. Well, especially because you know, after you leave, I I'm gonna go work on my horror movie screenplay. Oh. <laughs> God, you, you got you got a lot of pies. Talk about pies. talk about you lots got, of pies. It's great, it's great, especially out here. You know, like we need you need to kind of like invent who you are in Los Angeles yeah. because you don't want somebody else to tell you. Uh, you have to kind of decide for yourself. Yeah, and I think too now you know we're we're kind of approaching this this non binary way of looking at everything in life. Yeah. So it's like great. Let's just keep not putting ourselves in boxes. Yeah. All right. Well, I adore you. I, I love you. I'm so glad that we've gotten to have so much of our stories together and that we're both out here right now. Um, Same. Man, Same. Right. And now I'm going to find out who that arch nemesis is. Oh. Audition side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.